Hello and welcome to the stories of Northern Life from the Sault Ste. Marie Museum. Today we're going to get a little spooky with Halloween just around the corner. If you are an early fan of the podcast, you will remember the episode on the Johnson family. In the episode, you will hear the last name Schoolcraft, as one of John Johnson's daughters married a Schoolcraft, known as Henry. Henry was a very well-known figure and successful businessman. His brother is the victim of our story today, James Schoolcraft, who actually also married a Johnson woman as well. But Henry Schoolcraft is still a major character in this story. I got Nicole Curry, our collections assistant, and the museum's spooky queen to read you the article today. It was written in 1996 about a murder mystery that happened in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. Now this case is 176 years old now and still is unsolved with not enough evidence to truly convict a murderer. So let's get into it. Murder Mystery in the Sioux, reopening a 150-year-old case. A report on current research into the unsolved 1846 killing of James Schoolcraft and the disappearance of John Tanner. By James J. and Nan Renovich, Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. James Schoolcraft was shot dead one hot summer day in the Michigan Sioux 150 years ago. The assailant was never found, and to this day, strange and often fanciful tales circulate about the event. History agrees that Schoolcraft was found lying face down on a road some distance behind his home. The Johnson House, which is still located beside the present-day U.S. Coast Guard base. About two o'clock on Monday afternoon, July 6, 1846, there were no eyewitnesses to the shooting. There was no motive. Beyond these bare facts, there is little agreement. There is no consensus even on the precise location of the killing. For a century and a half, historians and storytellers alike have explored the tale. The layout of the scene suggested to bystanders that he had been shot from ambush. Several people are said to have been close enough to hear the fatal shot. The spot was soon thronged by townsfolk, but the victim was beyond help. He had died instantly from the musket ball, which broke his right arm, passed through the upper chest, and lodged in his left arm. Suspicion immediately came to rest on John Tanner a strange old man who lived on the outskirts of town. Tanner's cabin, near the present-day Sugar Island ferry dock, had burned to the ground under mysterious circumstances two nights before. The occupant was nowhere to be found. Tanner had been living in the Sioux for several decades, trying unsuccessfully to become a white man again after 30 years' captivity among the Indians of the Upper Great Lakes. Aging, anxious, and bitter about injustices done to him in both the Indian and white worlds, Tanner was seen by many in the town as a boogeyman. He was known to hold a particular animosity towards Henry Schoolcraft, elder brother of the victim. 
Henry had lived in the Sioux in the 1820s and 30s as a United States Indian agent. A reward was posted for his arrest, but Tanner was never seen again on the Michigan side of the St. Mary's River. In fact, he was seen only once more before disappearing from the face of history. The sighting was a Canadian event. The Hudson's Bay Company agent in the Sioux, John Ballenden, wrote to the grieving widow that Tanner had conversed with an old Indian woman somewhere near the Sioux on the Canadian side about mid-July. Despite the fact that Baladin was Justice of the Peace in the Canadian Sioux, the first, no efforts apparently were made by either Canadian or American authorities to follow up on this report and apprehend Tanner. Research in the 1980s had begun to cast a new light on Tanner. Historian John Fierst had shown that Tanner deserves much better treatment from historians than he has received so far. Fierst has demonstrated that Tanner was much maligned, often misunderstood, and commonly justified in the complaints which he voiced against figures in authority in his day, in particular Henry Schoolcraft. Convinced the case deserved the hearing which never took place in the Michigan courts, Nan and I, since 1991, have been reviewing the historical record. In particular, we have attempted to locate first-hand documents such as letters, newspaper accounts, diaries, and ledgers written in the days and weeks following the killing. The work is slow-going, but is already productive. A surprising amount of evidence still exists. Much of it has not been published or referenced before. Our investigation may be the first comprehensive effort to answer the question, who really did kill James Schoolcraft and why? Our long-term motive is to inspire interest within our two communities in the rich historical heritage which we share and almost entirely ignore. We have encountered a number of tantalizing puzzles along the way, and some major frustrations. We wish to present our current findings to the public, hoping in return to trigger some memories, which may lead to solutions. Does anyone out there know what happened to the diaries of Major Joseph Wilson? Wilson arrived in the Canadian Sioux in October 1843 and made daily entries in his diaries for 58 years until his death in 1901. He lived in the old stone house at the time of Schoolcraft's death and wrote details about the incident. We know this only by second hand. Reverend Edward Cap quotes from Wilson's diaries in his 1904 history of the Sioux and describes them as a community treasure. The diaries themselves are no longer to be found. What has happened to them? Does anyone know what happened to the day books of the Hudson's Bay Post at the Sioux during the Baladin years, 1838 to 1848? The Hudson's Bay Company archivist in Winnipeg has reported that they are not in the modern archival collection. Were they left in the care of company factors and agents who operated the post in the years after 1848? Are they perhaps still in the family papers of one of these people? The daybook for July 1846 could answer one of these controversial questions in the case.
Did Schoolcraft have a bad argument with an American military officer from Fort Brady while attending a July the 4th party at the Ballandens only two days before the shooting? The officer, Lieutenant Bryant P. Tilden Jr., was later rumored to have been responsible for the killing. The case against him is as ill-supported as the case against Tanner, but no avenue should be left unexplored. Pretty wild story, right? I want to talk about a few more notes that I found while researching this story. I read in other articles that Lieutenant Tilden, the army officer who had been stationed at nearby Fort Brady at the time of the murder, confessed on his deathbed. But there is no evidence to support this confession. The mysterious or not so mysterious part about this murder is that it took place midday in the middle of town. But how did nobody see what happened? Or is it that the murderer had lots of power and nobody would dare to tattletale? Now for John Tanner, well, he is well written about because he has a very interesting story. He was kidnapped in 1789 at the age of nine years old by an indigenous band and they raised him but it wasn't until 1820 until he was discovered and returned to his family in Kentucky. However, he failed to adjust to the change and couldn't fit into either cultures. He later moved to the soon with his family that he started. Henry Schoolcraft was the Indian agent at the time, so I can see their paths crossing often and their personalities clashing. The two were caught in many conflicts. Tanner worked as an interpreter and was often employed by Schoolcraft's Indian Agency or Reverend Abel Bingham's Baptist Mission, but also Schoolcraft's sister-in-law, one of the John Johnson's daughters, was also a translator that they would employ as well. So there was little fight for employment. Not to mention that John Tanner was previously arrested for beating his runaway son it is unknown which of his sons was beaten and left. But for that, his last wife left him and the Baptist church excluded him. During his older years, John Tanner became more isolated, lonely, and bitter as his health was failing. In 1837 to 1838, he was twice suspected for killing mission livestock. He was arrested for threats against Bingham. In 1846, he was again threatening Bingham, Schoolcraft, and Reverend William Brockway, the Methodist missionary, as well as others. And then, to end it all off, after the murder, there was no record of Tanner in history. Some suspected that Tilden, who had led the search for John Tanner when Tanner was suspected had also murdered Tanner. But most of the story of James Schoolcraft's murder has nothing to do with James Schoolcraft. There is not a lot written about him, and the overpowering dialogue between Henry and Tanner, and even, and even this Tilden officer. It appears that maybe James was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Let me know what you think about this mystery. Like the writers of this article says, it's very 
very, very confusing and frustrating case to look into. There's not a lot there. And I don't think this case will ever be solved. It will always be a mystery. Thank you so much for listening to the stories of Northern Life. And I hope you learned something new today about the Twin Sioux's history.